Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Good Shepherd Center continues its tradition of serving hot Christmas meals to marginalized Hamiltonians. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation has created a naughty and nice list for 2021. Paul Shona and I chew on some hot topics in the Good Morning Hamilton roundtable. I chat with the filmmaker and director of the documentary Sky Master Down. And we look back at the biggest business stories of 2021. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, the tradition continues. Despite COVID-19 pandemic restrictions, Good Shepherd continues its tradition today of serving a hot Christmas meal to marginalized Hamiltonians. Carmen Seltzacholi is our guest. He's the director of the Men's Shelter and Meal Program at Good Shepherd Center and joins us now. Carmen, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm well. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Tell us what is happening today. Well, as you uh, already noted, we're we're providing a hot turkey dinner, um, not the same uh, 2300 that we usually have done in the past at the convention center, but it is uh, available to those in the community. Um, there is no uh, pre-registration. There is no eligibility. All individuals need to do is just to show up at our doors, and uh, they will be provided a, a full uh, turkey dinner. Uh, hopefully as hot as we can make it for as a takeaway. And where is this taking place? It is at 135 Mary Street North. It's almost the corner of Mary and Cannon. And it is between 2 o'clock and about 4.15. So how many people do you expect to come over and, and grab a hot meal today? Well, um, last year we actually had about 221, I think it was, for the same thing. But this Thanksgiving... We had 458. So we're anticipating about 500 people, and that's how many uh, hot turkey dinners we've, uh, we've pro- we're ready to give out. Now, I'm assuming you yourself are not cooking all these meals. Talk about the staff and the volunteers who are helping put this dinner together. Well, um, the staff have been working. We do have a commercial kitchen here at the center. So the staff have been working for the last three, four weeks and cooking turkeys. Uh, and we've had some volunteers come in to help. Um, I need to say that our volunteer base has uh, decreased substantially, uh, obviously under the circumstances, and, and that's fine. But the staff have done a, a really good job, so we're ready for 500 people. How have you guys been coping during the pandemic? I know there's been some, some highs and lows. The latest variant is here. How are, How's the team doing? <laughs> Oh, man, funny you should ask. <clears throat> uh, we're tired, like everybody else. Um, I, my sense is that individuals who work in this field, it's more of a calling than, than really a job. Uh, we have had staff show up to work all along. Uh, mind you, we swab everybody once a week. Um, we've had our, our, you know, our outbreaks here. And uh, we we may be we may be looking at one right now. We've had a couple of positive tests, but uh, it will not affect our our ability to give out hot turkey meals, as we do that at the doors on the side of the building. So yes, it's much like everybody else, Rick. It's very challenging. 
I would imagine so. Carmen Seltzicholi is our guest, director of the Men's Shelter and Meal Program at Good Shepherd Center. They're offering their annual Christmas dinner today from 2 until 4.15 p.m. at the Good Shepherd Center at 135 Mary Street. Um, you mentioned you, you guys are tired. Is an event like this, uh, does it provide a boost, a little bit of a pick-me-up to those who are you know, really feeling wear, worn down? Well, that's the reason why we do it, Rick. Um, actually, there are two reasons. One, uh, we have a number of people who rely on the on the the meal or the lunch, as we call it, every day. That is because we provide it six days a week, and have been doing so all along. So, not only does it do that, it provide the meal, but yes, it provides a bit of a lift as we include um, some seasonal things like chocolates and whatever else goes into the the package with the meal. Um, and uh, some of these individuals are on their own. So we try to normalize it as much as possible, if you can normalize it in, in a day like today. It's a phenomenal annual tradition, and it continues today again at Good Shepherd Center, 135 Mary Street is the location from 2 until 4.15 p.m. Carmen, thanks for joining us today. Merry Christmas. Good luck with today's uh, meal as well. Thank you. Same to you and all of CHML and all of the city of Hamilton. Thanks, Carmen. Carmen Seltzicholi is the director of the Men's Shelter and Meal Program at Good Shepherd Center. And uh, yes, as I mentioned, the tradition continues, and it is a great one at that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation has taken a page out of Santa Claus's book and has created a naughty and nice list for 2021. Who's been very naughty this year? Who has managed to land themselves on the nice list? Well, let's find out. Franco Terrazano is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us this morning. Good morning, Franco. Hey, good morning, and thanks so much for having me on. Before we get to the list, what parameters were used to establish these lists? Well, we, we do this every single year, and it's a pretty easy one. Uh, first of all is, are you saving taxpayers' money? Uh, if you're saving taxpayers' money, you have a good shot to make the nice list. But if you're over there, if you're a politician, if you're a political party, and you're wasting taxpayers' money, or if you're telling a fib, well, that's probably going to land you on the naughty list. Usually when people ask me if I want to hear the good news or the bad news first, I usually opt for the bad news. But in this case, let's start with the good news. Who has ended up on the CTF's nice list in 2021? Well, topping off the nice list is uh, New Brunswick Finance Minister Ernie Steeds, uh, because it looks like the New Brunswick government is, is going to end uh, with a surplus a $38 million surplus. So he's showing uh, all Canadian taxpayers that politicians don't have to run these massive deficits, even during the pandemic. Um, now, what, what his government has done successfully is, yeah, they focus spending on the pandemic, but they've held the line on other areas of their budget. And that's just something that we haven't seen from many politicians across Canada. Who'd have thunk governments can still have a surplus? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And, and so hopefully some other politicians take notice. Um, yes, they may want to focus priorities on fighting the pandemic, but come on, you can find savings in other areas of your bloated budget. Who else is on the nice list? Well, another one is a former Calgary councillor, Jeremy Farkas. Now, let me tell your listeners, Calgary is no pinnacle for efficiency as a municipal government. Uh, they're known for wasting money. They've got employees who are getting two or three pensions. There was pandemic pay raises at the city of Calgary. Uh, but this year, 
uh, former counselor, Jeremy Farkas, he lost the mayoral bid, uh, but he turned down his pension and he turned down his goodbye bonus. So he's going to save taxpayers in Calgary about $300,000. And for that generosity, uh, yeah, he made taxpayers good books this year. Also on the nice list, uh, former Speaker of the B.C. Legislature and the Bloc Québécois. Yeah, well, the former Speaker, uh, Daryl Plekis of the B.C. Legislature, he has done some amazing work uncovering just absolutely inappropriate types of expenses. He found a $714 uh, expense for a man's luxury watch. Um, He found $1,300 billed to the taxpayer on Seattle Mariners baseball games, and that was billed as so-called emergency preparedness training. So for all of the digging that he has done, for all of the transparency that he has brought to the, to the B.C. legislature, Daryl Plekis definitely deserves a spot on taxpayers' nice list. And also, too, hey, the Bloc Quebecois, they're on the nice list this year. And let me tell you, we're normally hammering political parties for dipping their fingers even deeper into the taxpayer cookie jar, but this year we have to recognize the Bloc because they were the only federal party in the House of Commons that did not take the wage subsidy that was meant for struggling businesses. Canadian Taxpayers Federation unleashing their taxpayer naughty and nice list for 2021. Franco Terrazano is our guest. He's the federal director of the CTF. Not surprisingly, the naughty list is a little longer than the nice list. Who is topping the charts as the naughtiest? Yeah, uh, not surprising. Uh, Of course, unfortunate for taxpayers, but landing on the top spot in the naughty list this year is the former Governor General, Julie Payette. And that's because she left the role early. She only served there uh, for a little more than three years. And and remember, there's reports of Julie Payette running a Grinch-style workplace, um, but she could still be eligible to collect $4.8 million dollars through her pension if she continues to collect that to age 90. And uh, here's some more lumps of coal. She could still bill taxpayers every single year for the rest of her life, including up to six months after her death, for $200,000 every single year. Ouch. A billionaire is on the naughty list. Yep, yep. Uh, billionaire Stephen Bronfman out there in Quebec because he is pulling a reverse Robin Hood. He wants uh, to take up to $300 million from struggling Quebec taxpayers and and use the loot to build a brand new baseball stadium uh, and to host a part-time professional baseball team. He wants uh, the Tampa Bay Rays to play half of their season in Montreal. So for pulling this reverse Robin Hood taken from struggling taxpayers for his own benefit, uh, he definitely lands. On the naughty list. Also on the naughty list, members of parliaments, Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Why are they on this list? <laughs> well, you know, it's Christmas time. Uh, it's the season for giving, and members of parliament sure do love giving to themselves, and that's because they've received two pay raises. Uh, pay raises during the pandemic from an extra 6900 bucks all the way up to an extra $13,800 for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So for gobbling up pay raises while uh, everyone around them struggles, all members of Parliament have landed themselves on the naughty list this year. Now, Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole, he's also on the naughty list because he told a big carbon tax fib. Um, when he was running for Conservative Party leadership, 
He told Canadians that he would fight carbon taxes, that he would not put in a carbon tax of his own. Uh, But then just before the last election, he did a complete 180 and decided to hammer Canadians with a carbon tax of his own. So this year, O'Toole's nose grew three whole sizes, and that lands him on the naughty list. And and to round out the naughty list as well is, is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and that's because he's been raising taxes during the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, that, that should land anybody on the on the naughty list. Franco, really appreciate your time today. Great list, uh, both naughty and nice. Hopefully those on the naughty list can revert to the nice list in 2022. Thanks for the time today. Hey, my pleasure. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. That is Franco Terrazano, Federal Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is the Thursday edition of the Good Morning Hamilton Roundtable with myself, Paul, and Shona. Good morning. You too. Good Thursday morning, Jaya. Good morning. Two more sleeps till Christmas. Yes. Nice. Oh my gosh. You still get excited? Um, not, <laughs> not like really. I was a seven-year-old. Not year like old, before. But yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I just. I mean, it's it's an exciting time of the year. I I get as excited through the whole sort of lead up to it as I do to the actual day. To be yes. honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's the anticipation. Yeah. The mm-hmm. whole. Yeah. The whole time. It's a, there's a reason that song was so good. Anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great time of year. I always, uh, at this time of the year, I always think about Ed Grimley. Do you remember the Ed Grimley <laughs> character on SCTV? <laughs> yeah. I must say. It was the the best skit ever in SCTV history, at least one of the best, because they had some amazing ones. Ed Grimley waiting for Christmas morning <laughs> to arrive, and he just could not get to sleep, and he was talking about Bing Crosby, and it was snowing, and he got all teary-eyed. If you haven't seen it, it's got to be on YouTube somewhere, I'm sure. I'm sure. sure. I'm going to look it up right after yeah, this. Yeah, it, it, it's phenomenal. It's <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, we just heard from the director of the documentary, Sky Master Down. Uh, it uh, investigated the crash of a U.S. military transport plane in Yukon in 1950. And as the story goes, this plane has never been found. But it also includes some majestic scenery of one of Canada's territories, Yukon. So it begs the question... And after I watched it yesterday, I thought, wow, Yukon would be a great place to visit. But is there one place in Canada where you really want to visit? You haven't been there yet, but it's on your bucket list. Oh, I haven't been there Paul, what do you think? What do you, you got one in place? Well, I mean, the Yukon actually was one of them. But I'll, since you just said that one, I'll pick another. And it's again on the West Coast. I have been to Victoria, uh-huh. but I have never really actually explored Vancouver Island proper. You know, actually Vancouver Island. And I've heard it is absolutely extraordinary, yeah. and I really want to get there. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I've never I've been to Vancouver. I haven't been to Vancouver Island, and, and you know, flying over the Rockies is you know a sight to behold. Um, I would love to take a train trip through the Rockies. My mother-in-law did that years ago, and she said it's just absolutely phenomenal. So I'd love to do that. Well, that is one of the things I've always, always wanted to do, take the Rocky Mountaineer. Mm -hmm. Um, But if if it's one place that I've always wanted to go to, I'm going to say St. John's. St. John's, Newfoundland. Yep. My brother was actually just there a couple of weekends ago. Well, I hope he brought some back. He brought uh, <laughs> some pictures back. <laughs> My dad was uh, one of the places that uh, he visited uh, during his tour of duty with the Canadian Navy during the Second World War. And he always said, you will never find better people on the face yeah. of this earth than people who are from Newfoundland and St. John's. Yeah. Paul, you've been there, right? Well, yeah, my family's from Newfoundland, yeah. so and I agree with Shona there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it is funny because, uh, like, my sister was a perfect example. She went back a couple of years, a few years ago mm-hmm. now with my brother-in-law, and was my brother-in-law was going to a conference in St. John's. And they mentioned at the conference, my brother-in-law mentioned, oh, my sister's, uh, mom, you know, my sister's parents are from uh, Newfoundland, they're from the Buren area. 
and at the conference, they stood up and said, we have one of our own here and brought my sister. <laughs> no, like the conference of like yeah. 800 people. And they brought my sister to the to the stage to welcome one of their own to wow. the So when you're yeah. from Newfoundland, you're from Newfoundland. Yeah. It is it is unbelievable. And yeah, you would love St. John's. Don't go in the winter, though. That's the real experience, yeah. people. Exactly. But hands down, like everybody knows, I do the entertainment reports here on the morning show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family's been involved in theater for decades. Um, best night of theater, hands down, I have ever been to come from away. Really? Eh? Hands and down. Where'd you go see that? Uh, in Toronto. Oh, nice. Back before COVID, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But uh, but it, you know, it's it's the whole Newfoundland experience. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously about nine eleven and what happened there, and now people in Gander just you know opened their doors. Mm-hmm. Well, they're never really closed anyway. <laughs> and but they uh, but it is it is the best night I, of theater I've ever had. I got to give you one other story. We had we went to I mean as being from there, my family we we'd, we've gone there a number of times. My mom and dad were on a trip and they. They were out visiting, and they wanted to go to some place they hadn't been, and they asked just a man who was at a corner store, how do you get to such and such a point? So he said, oh, just follow me. So two and a half <laughs> hours later, <laughs> the guy gets out of the car and says, here it is. No way. And then he gets back in his car, and Dad said, well, where can we take you for lunch? He goes, oh, no, I've got to get home. i got to get back to, to work, because he had to drive two and a half hours back. To get oh to where he was going. Gosh. He literally drove two and a half hours out of his way oh to goodness. take my mom and dad to this little point that overlooked the ocean. Wow. Yeah. They're, it's, they're just amazing people. They That's really, unreal. really are. Did you know you can't tell a knock-knock joke in Newfoundland? Why not? Why is that, Jonah? Give it a try. Knock-knock? Come on in. The door's open. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Did you ever say you're lost? You're not lost. You're in Newfoundland. You're where you are in Newfoundland. I remember watching the documentary of uh, Come From Away, and it's just, I mean, the story itself is unreal with, you know, the the airplanes and the people that they had to house and feed and not. And uh, the community just said, yeah, here here we are. Let's let's do this. And it's uh, absolutely amazing. So I can only imagine watching the play. Um, would be crazy. I have never left a theater feeling so great and so proud to be a Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I was n- close to Newfoundland. I was in New Brunswick years ago. The Ticats were traveling there and playing some games. And um, Coach Sal and I hopped into a cab one night uh, after the game. And um, this cab driver, who was from Nigeria, I believe, was driving the cab. And he had lived in Canada for about a decade. And the cab dry- ride was about 20 minutes from the stadium to the hotel. And he offered us a uh, a choice we could play his trivia game and if we got it right we would not have to pay the cab fare oh, and if we got it wrong we would have to pay the cab fare which turned out to be like 20 bucks or whatever yeah. so we ended up playing and he said if you get eight out of ten right you don't have to pay so we actually and this is canadian trivia from a nigerian who's been in this country for 10 years <laughs> and it was unbelievable like the questions and you know we couldn't go on google and google it but uh, we got i think it was six or seven right out of ten we were uh, you know ashamed canadians but uh, it was fascinating the amount of trivia that he knew and kind of relayed to us, and just it was it was unreal. Yeah. I'll never I'll never forget that story. Um, speaking of uh, good stories, this one was not so good. I was at the dentist yesterday. Oh no! I mean everything's fine. You know, a couple of cavities here and there, and yada yada yada. Um, but you know, th- the dentist is probably the worst experience ever. You know, whether you're just getting a cleaning or a cavity filled or whatever you're yeah, doing. head back, mouth open, hands in yeah, your mouth. Yeah, like, exactly. you know, there's 17 apparatus in your in your mouth. <laughs> yes. You're you're trying to breathe and remain calm. And they're talking to you, like, asking <laughs> yes. you questions. And you're, yeah. oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> so is it not, like, the worst thing in the world? Yeah, close to it. Uh-huh. I, I think it is. Yeah. Damn you, dentists. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just had to get that off my chest. Oh, that was it? That was it. There's, there's, no, just, there's no dramatic story about what occurred when you were at the dentist No, no, it was just, you know. Just the entire couple, thing is A couple horrible. of cavities filled. That I had it. a dentist one night time tell me, um, I have some post-nasal drip right now, so if you... <laughs> No, that's the that's, that's the last like, thing you want to what see. What are you doing? <laughs> oh yeah. All right. <laughs> Lastly, and on a, I think a positive note, okay. <laughs> uh, producer extraordinaire Alicia brought in a remarkable oh. cake this morning. Mr. Snowman, we called him because he looked like a, an amazing snowman, a real life snowman, mm. and uh, met his predictable demise this morning, <laughs> uh, and tasted great. So we wanted to herald Alicia for oh her goodness. exploits and her mom's exploits her who baked the mama. cake. I literally She's just took amazing. a bite. Did you really? I did and actually. Well, you you brought it up, <laughs> and the cake tastes good too. I was so glad that Rick Zamperin is the first one to cut into it because this was a piece of art. <laughs> yes, it wasn't yeah. the full snowman. It was the snowman's head looking up. And they think it was starting to melt because the he's melting. Icy, yeah, yeah, he was yeah. melting, and he's got like a surprised look on his face. Oh my gosh! It, I mean, it looked. I could, couldn't believe it was actually a cake. Yeah. I mean, it was. It looked like a piece of art. Yes. So, but then when I found out it was a cake, I was dying to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thrilled to hear that you cut into it first. Yes. <laughs> so I shared some pictures on uh, CHML social media account at AM nine hundred CHML on Twitter. You can check it out on Facebook as well. Um, not only the before, but the after. Onslaught picks, if you will. <laughs> yeah, with you killing him with the yes, knife. Yes, he got murdered. For a good cause, though. He went yep. to a good place. He did. <laughs> and let me tell you, the cake is as tasty as it looks good. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Cheers to Alicia's mom. What's her name? My mom? Yeah. Anna. This is Anna Sweet Cakes. Nice. Go check him out. Get a Absolutely. snowman cake. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a new documentary chronicling the ill-fated flight of a U.S. military transport plane which crashed in Canada's Yukon Territory in 1950. The plane and its 44 crew and passengers have never been found. It's a truly amazing story. A filmmaker and director of the documentary Sky Master Down joins us on Good Morning Hamilton here on 900 CHML. Andrew Gregg is his name, and we say good morning to Andrew. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. This is a phenomenally fascinating documentary. I had the pleasure of watching it yesterday. I'm not going to offer any spoilers to anybody, but it is (laughs) truly amazing. It's going to premiere on uh, the Discovery Channel, or the Documentary Channel, pardon me, on uh, January 16th at 9 p.m., what interested you about this story? What drew you to this story? Well, I, uh, I actually used to live in the Yukon, and, and I still spend a lot of time up there. Um, and I had done another story uh, in 2016 uh, up there on another kind of archaeology. And I was back up a, a few years later with that film for a film festival, and I went to see my archaeologist friends uh, in Yukon. And I noticed these broken up airplane parts on a shelf. And I said, what are those from? And they said, well, we found them last summer. We thought they were from the Skymaster, but we were wrong. And I said, what Skymaster? And then that's what started it. Um, I'd never heard this story before. And then I found out that a lot of my Yukon friends had never heard of it. And certainly people in the rest of Canada had never heard of it. Um, and the only people in the States that seemed to remember it were family members. Um, so once we, once we got into the story, it started to get its own momentum. And we ended up with a film. 71st anniversary of its uh, crashing, we think, is coming up uh, in, in, a, in a month or so. How in the world has this plane never been found? Well, it, there was a massive search for it. It went down on January 26, 1950. Um, and there was a massive search that went on for a few weeks, but the weather was brutal. Um, and they didn't have proper search techniques or even proper search planes. They just threw a bunch of aircraft and people at it. 
and um, didn't look in the places where it could most likely have gone, which is the tops of mountains. Um, so um, after that, there was this sort of promise, uh, or a suggestion anyway, that the, the military would come back and continue the search when the weather was better, and they just never did. And it was slowly forgotten. So Yukon's a big place. Um, and as we say in the film, you know, there's a database of over 500 airplane wrecks up there. So they do know where most of these other wrecks anything from a bush plane to a military plane. They know where they are, but this one just remains elusive, and that's really the mystery. Is why, why can't it be found? Where is the most likely landing spot? Because, uh, you know, the documentary profiles a number of different um, landing spots, uh, a, a huge lake, into a mountain, buried yeah. by a glacier. What's your best guess at where this thing is? Well, when after we were done filming, another guy, an American wreck, airplane wreck hunter, uh, he kind of snuck into the Yukon. This is when they had pretty strict COVID protocols. And I don't know why he chose the spot where he went, but he went up a mountain um, not far from Kiwani Lake and not too far from the last place the aircraft was heard from, uh, which was a radio outpost. Um, and uh, he found some aircraft parts on the side of a mountain about 7,000 feet up. So we don't know. This is a new development that certainly happened since we did the dock. Uh, we're going to try to get up there to see uh, what these plane parts are. They're just little shards of aluminum, but they're clearly from a plane. I've gone through, like, I was convinced it was at the bottom of the lake, and I was convinced it was somewhere along the flight path, and now I'm pretty convinced that it hit the top of the mountain and just just disintegrated. Wow. We're chatting with Andrew Gregg. He's a filmmaker and director of the documentary Skymaster Down. It premieres on Documentary Channel on Sunday, January 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, you interviewed a number of people in this documentary. Uh, some of the interviews are, get very emotional, including yeah. one with Donna Clayson, who's uh, in the Yukon, has been looking for this thing for years, um, and, and who basically said this has become personal, and she wants to offer some closure to the families that have been impacted. Yeah, the, the, she's with a group called the, the Civil Aviation Search and Rescue Association, and um, they're they're present right across the country. But the Casara branch in the Yukon took up the search for the Skymaster about a decade ago, um, and you know they're doing it with no money and little Cessnas. And what they're basically doing every year is covering off more and more of a grid along the the, the flight path. Uh, but Donna, yeah, Donna, she's she's been looking more than anybody, and. Um, after seeing some of the faces and hearing the stories of the families, that's when she said that it got personal, putting herself in their shoes, you know, and not having closure for 71, 72 years. And the children of these people that went missing on the plane are now senior citizens themselves. And, and um, there's, this, there's this feeling of, of, of urgency to try to find closure for them before, you know, before it's too late. Do you think this documentary is going to help lead to the plane's discovery? Well, what's happened since we started filming it? We've been on this project for almost four years, um, and it a lot of stuff has happened. Um, we had a website up. A lot there's there's actually a whole community out. There was a couple of different communities. There's there's wreck hunters, airplane wreck hunters. There's actually a community of them, and then there's people who had family or on on that aircraft. So they've they've got their own Facebook pages. And then there are families from other planes that we've found out that have gone missing, too, around the same time and were never found. So we're looking to continue telling this story. Um, and I think, yes, I do think the film, even before it's shown, I think it's already had an impact because we've kind of brought the focus 
back onto this again um, in Whitehorse now, where nobody had heard of this story. Now everybody knows about it. And anybody that goes for a flight keeps their eye open. Um, and the families feel that they're being listened to again. So, yes, I do think the film is going to make a difference because it's filling a vacuum. Yeah, it's a phenomenal documentary. You interview a, a number of relatives of those who were on the plane, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it pulls at the heartstrings, uh, and it's amazing, picturesque documentary as well. So those who've never been to the Yukon, I'm imagining most of our listeners haven't, uh, it's, it's just really great to see the, the landscape, and, uh, you know, you just kind of roll in your mind where this plane might be, and it could literally be anywhere. Andrew, really appreciate your time today. Uh, great job with Skymaster Down. Looking forward to seeing it again on January the 16th on Documentary Channel. I really appreciate this. Thanks so much. That's Andrew Gregg, filmmaker and director of the documentary Sky Master Down. Yes, it premieres on Documentary Channel Sunday, January 16th, 9 p.m. Eastern. It is a fantastic film. you got to watch it. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's our latest in the series of year in review segments. And this time around, we're looking at the year that was in the world of business. And a lot of incredible things happened, certainly in 2021, uh, many of which impacted by COVID-19, and that's understandable. Moshe Lander is our guest, Senior Economics Lecturer with Concordia University. Moshe, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I guess we got to start with COVID and the impact it has had on business. It's been quite severe. What a grind it has been. Yeah, you know, in 2020, we thought that that was going to be the worst of it in 2021, uh, proved to be just this roller coaster that started off really badly, got better. And we're now going back, I think, uh, on the wrong side of the roller coaster, setting up a a little bit of a a bad start to 2022, I think we're looking at. Yeah, with capacity limits, reduced restrictions. Given, you know, all that went on in 2020, I'd like to think that businesses are at least better equipped now to handle this new curveball, or I guess this this latest curveball. I I think you're right. Uh, You know, I, I remember actually back in March, I was walking through a local mall uh, you know, masked up and uh, socially distanced and all of that stuff. And I was looking around and I was thinking, my gosh, how fast were businesses able to adapt to not an optimal sort of situation they wanted, but the idea of even just, you know, changing retail uh, into socially distancing and, and how to create products for their, their consumers. And uh, the idea of uh, home delivery is now something that we just take for granted. And uh, all kinds of industries that just sprouted up catering to the idea of, the world is not going to be the same. So, uh, you know, retail was was rather resilient. And that's kind of a great sort of dynamic for an economy that you can see it adapt that easily. Uh, It's it's promising, at least, that if we're going to have to live with this, uh, we're going to be able to live with this. Yeah, it is incredible to think all the new businesses that have sprouted up during the pandemic. And it's great to see that entrepreneurship or that that mind just to think differently and think of something that a consumer would want to purchase or subscribe to or, or whatever the case is. Still hampering things is the supply chain crisis. The, the global chip shortage is a big part of that as well. What do you foresee happening on this front? Reorganization. Uh, you know, it, it's the the thing with the supply chain is that it's not that we don't know what we need or how we need it or when we need it. It's just we can't get it right now. So the the next 
evolution then is going to be, all right, how do we make sure that we can get it when we need it? And so I think you're going to see that the supply chain is going to reorganize itself. And that might be a little bit of onshoring, you know, the offshoring phenomenon uh, at the end of the last century, which was the idea of moving things to factory shops in China or IT and back office stuff to India might start to come back here as a way to merely avoid the situation that if we are going to face restricted movement, then we need to make sure that we have access to certain things in our own backyard. That's maybe good news for local producers, uh, but it could also lead to higher costs, which was a phenomenon that we did see in 2021 with higher inflation rates. Yeah, certainly the the shop local phenomenon took off last year, but it has certainly been heightened by the supply chain uh, issues because if you can see it in front of you, you can hold it and you can buy it, you probably will. And that's that's helped out a lot of local producers. It has, but... You know, there's a there's a mixed blessing there. Uh, on the one hand, yeah, it does help local producers, but if those local producers are inefficient uh, or through competition and through globalization would have been put out of business, then we're merely kind of prolonging their inevitable decline, right? Once things do get back to a, a more global sort of world, have we misallocated resources propping up businesses that otherwise shouldn't? Uh, in, in the temporary time that they have, if they use that as a way to lean out and to, to become more efficient, then this could be a good thing. But if they merely view that as uh, a reprieve and, and don't do anything with that time, then that could be a missed opportunity that, that could end up costing all of us in the long run, not just the local producers. Moshe Lander is our guest, Senior Economics Lecturer with Concordia University. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. One of the more interesting stories, and it, it happened uh, in the later part of 2021, was the collaboration between Tim Hortons and Justin Bieber. Are we going to see a, a lot more celebs uh, coordinate their efforts with Canadian companies? I, I think that's something that's been going on around the world, right? It's not just unique to Canada. I, I think that the Canadian connection there, of course, for Justin Bieber is that we like to claim him as one of our own, uh, maybe when he's on a, a good role. But, uh, you know, the idea of, of using brand awareness and brand connection between uh, celebrities or athletes or uh, people of high profile uh, is always a great way to kind of boost your business. And uh, the idea that now these athletes are uh, generating income and have wealth uh, on a level that's so disproportionate to the average person, they can now engage themselves with these businesses in much more than just being a figurehead. They can almost become part owners or part steer uh, and steward the companies. And so I, I think this is the beginning of uh, a much more deeper involvement for people who have tremendous wealth and need something to do with it. Moshe Lander is going to stick around for our next segment as well. He is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University as we talk about the big business stories of 2021. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're continuing our look back at some of the biggest business stories over the last year. Moshe Lander is our guest. He is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University. And Moshe, 2021 saw a massive power struggle at the top of the food chain at Rogers Communications as Ed Rogers gained control of the telecom giant. What a sensational story this was. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it's almost like something you would watch on Netflix, right? Uh, whether you watch Billions or Succession, it, it's the type of story that, uh, you know, it, it's art imitating life and life imitating art. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably a lot more common than we realize. It's just uh, when, when you can sensationalize it and when you can throw it out there into uh, a high-profile uh, media conglomerate, uh, it's the type of thing that just captures imaginations, but uh, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a unique story there. 
No, certainly not at all. Maybe uh, more public than uh, uh, you know previous uh, uh, you know stories like this, but uh, certainly it has been fascinating to watch. And you know, all the while, Rogers is still waiting for CRTC approval to go and uh, finalize their deal for Shaw Communications. Is this something that we'll see finalized in 2022, or is it going to take a bit longer? No, 2022 seems reasonable. I, I think the bigger issue is that. You know, Canada has changed in the last 20 years where we used to have a very strong competition bureau that would review these sorts of mergers and try and prevent anti-competitive behavior. If you remember uh, during the Chrétien years, uh, there was an attempt by the big six banks to merge their way down to a big four. And the competition bureau jumped in at the time and said, wait, this is not good news. Uh, We now have uh, not necessarily a big six, but a big three or four at the head of telecommunications that seem to want to merge their way down into a big two, big three. Uh, and it doesn't really appear that those teeth of the, the competition bureau are as strong as they used to be. Uh, and so they'll probably wave it through, but this is not necessarily the best news for consumers going forward if we're losing competitors and the type of thing that could help keep innovation up and prices down. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. We're chatting with Moshe Lander, Senior Economics Lecturer with Concordia University, about the biggest business stories of 2021. Another big one is uh, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos stepping down as company president and CEO, still with the company, but not uh, the head honcho. What do you foresee uh, in the future for Amazon? Still the, the massive giant that it is? You know, it can go either way, and and that's the great thing with successions is that, you know, sometimes the plans don't necessarily work out the way you think. If you remember, again, going back to the end of last century, uh, you know, we, we looked at something like General Electric. And that was a dominant industrial giant. Uh, Jack Welch was the CEO and was kind of one of these media stars and rock stars uh, at the top of an industrial giant. Uh, and it, it lost its way. It it. it lost a tremendous amount of market value and uh, it suffered tremendously for a lack of a clear succession. Uh, Apple has kind of fumbled along a little bit uh, in the absence of its founder. And so how Amazon is going to do is anybody's guess. You know, it, it could be the type of thing that it's firmly entrenched, but it's also the type of thing that uh, maybe its strength was the vision of its owner and founder. Uh, and it might not exist in the same sort of way with without him running the day-to-day operations of the company. Jeff Bezos has a new baby, that is Blue Origin. There's also Virgin Galactic out there launching, pardon the pun, people into space, and, and to much fanfare as well. Are, are you surprised at how quickly this has been absorbed and uh, and heralded by the public? No, I, I think that, again, it's a, it's a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, positive from how the market responds, right? We grew up on the idea of the space shuttle and NASA and that this was run by government organizations that had to secure every dollar they could from from government coffers and from taxpayers. Uh, once you introduce an element of, of marketry and, and the, the freedom to decide how to allocate resources, and you have a bunch of billionaires that need a game to play uh, when they decide that, all right, we want to take a look at space travel, all of a sudden, Things that seemed almost impossible are now becoming possible. And, you know, we're watching uh, regular people going up to the edge of space uh, in a way that would have been inconceivable 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Moshe, always appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and all the best in 2022.
Anytime. Looking forward to talking to you next year. That is Moshe Lander, Senior Economics Lecturer at Concordia University. As we look back at some of the big stories in business in 2021. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast it's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review